The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming health tech. From AI to robotics and beyond, we're reinventing what's possible, and we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys to persuasion and conflict resolution. This podcast is part of the American Negotiation Institute, where we do business consulting, training, and one-on-one coaching for people who want to communicate more confidently and persuasively. Check out our website to learn more. In today's episode, we are going to talk about tools that we can use to maximize commitment. When it comes to sales and negotiation, commitment is going to be important. We want to figure out ways to get to yes in most situations. And it can be so frustrating when we're in a situation where somebody seems to be interested and there doesn't seem to be really any barrier to them committing, but they don't commit what happened? It's, it's one of the most frustrating things. Um, and a lot of my clients that I work with, they have that situation where they have been able to successfully generate interest, but getting somebody to truly commit has been difficult. And there are thousands of different things that we could use, uh, techniques that we can use to increase commitment, but for the sake of time and the 30-minute time slot that I've given myself, (laughs) we are going to limit it to three. And these are going to be three of what I consider to be some of the most powerful techniques we can use. And I will admit, too, that I am working an angle with this particular episode Um, For those of you who don't know, I'm a Caribbean-American. So my dad is from Dominica and my mom is from Guyana. And so you might recognize the name Dominica because recently it was hit really hard by Maria. And Puerto Rico has been taking a lot of the news coverage recently, as it should in in American news coverage, because it's a territory of the United States. Um, But the problem is for us Dominicans that the problems that we're facing are just as bad, but we don't have that official relationship with a larger country that is obligated to help us in in times of trouble. Uh, So the two major industries that bring in money to the island are tourism and agriculture, and those have been absolutely decimated by the hurricane. And due to the issues with electricity and the damage done to the hospitals, we're facing a potential humanitarian crisis when it comes to access to health care. And so thankfully, all of my family there is okay. My dad is still on the island and he's okay. He's a doctor, but he's been telling me about the issues that they've been facing and it's pretty dire. So what I want to do with this episode is first let you know there's a link that if you wanted to donate, if you could donate a few hundred bucks, that's great. If you could just donate five to ten dollars, that's great too, because medicine comes cheap, but we don't have access to it on the island. So anything you can do to help is is good. Um, so I want to raise awareness. And then the other thing, the other reason that I'm doing this is because I want this to be used as a tool for Dominicans and people sympathetic to the plights of Dominicans at that time, at this time, can use to solidify commitment from people who are 
interested in in giving back through donations. So I want people to be able to listen to this and turn it into closing more donations for uh, the island. So that is my disclaimer. I wanted to let you all know the, the reasoning for this episode and the timing of it for me. Now, the focus of this episode is going to be heavily in favor of nonprofit donations. So if you're in the nonprofit world, you will get a lot out of this. And if you're a listener of the show, you know that whenever I do these solo episodes, the goal is to structure it in a way that everybody can get value out of it. So this isn't just going to be valuable for people who are in the nonprofit world or people who are trying to get donations, but it's also going to have for-profit corollaries. And so with every tool that I share, I will give an example in the business world of how it could be used to uh, maximize profits or gain commitment within your team. All right, so let's go to tool number one. The first thing is we need to focus on the individual when we are trying to get commitment. A lot of times when we are pitching or making a request for assistance, we do it to a large number of people at one time. And we think that by doing it this way, it is more efficient because you think to yourself, hey, instead of talking to one person, I'm talking to 10 people, 20 people, 100 people. That is simply a more efficient use of my time. And with regard to raising awareness and getting people to know you are correct, but we are missing out on some opportunities for commitment. And the reason being here is because of something called diffusion of responsibility. And for any new listeners uh, out there, I am a psychology nerd, so I don't only want to tell you what works. I also want to tell you why it works, uh, because you can be a lot more creative with your strategies and tactics when you have an understanding of why things work. Then you can make up tactics on the fly, things that you haven't read before because you know the way that the mind works. So with diffusion of responsibility, what that means is that when we are in large groups, we are likely to assume somebody else is going to uh, assume responsibility and do what needs to be done. And the classic case here is from... 1960s, I think it was 1964, with Kitty Genovese. And so Kitty Genovese was a 28-year-old woman who was walking home for, to her house late at night, and she was unfortunately attacked by a knife-wielding criminal. And so this man stabbed her repeatedly, and she cried out for help kept crying out for help. And this is in a densely populated area with neighbors all around. And so based on the reports, 37 to 38 people heard her screams for help. And this is at a time where phones worked. It's only the 60s. That's not that long ago. And nobody called the police. Nobody went down to help. And at the time, people were shocked. They thought this was a serious commentary on society where how, how can we be so apathetic and indifferent to the uh, sanctity of human life where we are willing to let one of our neighbors get brutally murdered in, uh, in the streets and all we needed to do was make a call and we didn't do that. And so that is what the running headline was uh, for the next day or week or whatever. But what subsequent studies have revealed is that the more people that are around the less likely it is for somebody to take action to help. And the reason is not because people are indifferent to the value of human life. 
people are going to assume that somebody else is going to do what needs to be done. So they say to themselves, oh, there are a lot of people here. I bet somebody already called the cops. I don't want to inundate them with unnecessary phone traffic here. Oh, somebody is probably better situated to handle this problem. And so realizing that, it shows the importance of reaching out to people on an individual basis to get that commitment. So what does this look like for a nonprofit? When you're making a presentation to groups, you need to have individual follow-up. And um, I'm going to add a little bonus technique here. Um, In the book Influence by Robert Cialdini, he talks about the power of commitment. If somebody makes a commitment, they want to hold true to that. They want to be seen as somebody who stands by their word. And so a technique that I would suggest using if I was going to put some kind of uh, persuasive combination together in these types of situations, I would say if we are presenting uh, in a situation where we want to get a donation, what we should do is raise, ask people to raise their hand if they want to make a change in this specific area. And then once, once people raise their hand, send something around for them to write down their name and email address. And so this kind of almost has the the same psychological effect as a contract uh, where they feel like, oh, I wrote my name down. That is something that they want to commit to. They feel like they are more, that they're going to be more attached to whatever it was that they committed to. In this case, now that they've made that, they've made that signed writing. Now what you do is you follow up with them via email, not in a group email, not a mass email, but in an individual email. Hey, Kwame, thanks for coming to the meeting, and I'm really glad to see that you're willing to commit to donating for this charity. Here's a link that you can use to donate. And so making that individual call out is going to make it more likely for me to follow up. Now, for another added bonus, we could try to factor in some scarcity here. Now, the principle of scarcity holds that people are more likely to act or more likely to try to take advantage of something when they see that either many people have taken advantage of it in the past, and as a result of that, there is not much left of that specific resource. It makes them feel a little bit more pressure to move toward it. Another way you can create Scarcity is by limiting time. So a lot of times, if you remember infomercials, they would have that that clock ticking downward, <laughs> and that that was meant to create scarcity. And so in the nonprofit donations uh, situation, what you could do is you could give a legitimate reason as to why there is a time limit on the donation. So for example, using Dominica, we could say, with regard to the medical supplies, there's going to be almost like a time limit. You could think of it like a shot clock with some of these issues, medical issues that people are dealing with. So the faster we get money, the faster we could help these people because some people's shot clock started the night of the hurricane. Once you propose it in that way, not only do we have commitment and not only have we reached out to them directly in order to avoid the issue of diffusion of of responsibility, we are also increasing our likelihood of gaining commitment because we've also triggered scarcity with regard to time. And so that's a powerful combination that you could use to increase the level of commitment uh, when it comes to donations. Now, in the business world, what does this look like? Let's say you're a manager and you have 10 people on the team and you need somebody to get something done. 
oftentimes what we do is we send out an email to everybody on the team and say, hey, I need somebody to help me out with this report and who can help me? And then what happens? We get crickets. <laughs> Nobody responds because we assume that somebody else who is capable would uh, stand up and volunteer their time. And so often that's when we, our feelings get hurt because we ask a bunch of people to help us and then nobody ends up helping us. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming healthcare technology. From artificial intelligence to robotics and beyond, health tech is reinventing what's possible. Every year, Medtronic improves the lives of 74 million people. And we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. So what you should do is instead draft an individual email to each person on the team and request their assistance. Or even better, get up and talk to somebody and let them know the situation. And you can use the same types of uh, persuasive techniques that I mentioned in the nonprofit example here when it comes to getting things done within your organization. So the thing that we want to avoid here is diffusion of responsibility, because when it comes to making requests to large numbers of people, the larger the number of people, the less likely they are to commit. And we think it's the opposite, but it's not. A lot of times when it comes to psychology and persuasion, we're dealing with uncommon sense. Um, These things are not intuitive, and that's why it's so important to understand the psychology behind focusing on individuals when it comes to making commitments. The next tool that I would suggest using is maximizing emotional impact by focusing on individuals. And I know you're saying, Kwame, did you not just talk about <laughs> focusing on individuals? And there's a, there is a modification here that is very, very important. In this case, I'm not talking about the individual who you're trying to get commitment from. I'm talking about the individual that needs help. This is perfect for nonprofits because a lot of times you're dealing with issues that are affecting large numbers of people. For instance, if your goal is to alleviate poverty, you might say there are hundreds of thousands of people in our county that are dealing with poverty. And so we think that focusing on the vast amounts of people who are suffering is going to be the thing that really makes people want to take action. So the thought process is that if 1,000 people are suffering, it should lead to X amount of emotional discomfort, and that level of emotional discomfort will be reflected in the donation that somebody makes. But if 10 times that amount of people are in poverty, we believe that it should lead to a level of emotional distress that is 10 times the original amount of distress they were feeling, and that increased amount of emotional distress should correlate with an increased amount of donations. But again, we are dealing with uncommon sense. That's not the way our minds work. So here's an example. They did an experiment where they had three different groups. In the first group, the marketing material said, hey, hundreds or thousands of people are dealing with this issue. How much are you willing to donate? The second example said, This is little Billy and little Susie. They are dealing with this issue. How much are you willing to donate? And then in the third example, they just said, hey, this is little Billy. This is what little Billy's going through. How much are you willing to donate? 
And so using common sense, what we would think is that the marketing material that talked about the thousands or hundreds of thousands of people who were dealing with this issue would get the most donations. But in reality, what it was is that the people who saw the marketing material that highlighted only one person got the most donations. They got slightly more than the marketing material that highlighted two people. So why is this? When you think back way in the day, like way back when we were in tribes, in the early stages of humanity, our social circles were really small. And so in a tribe, you might have 30 to 50 people. That was it. That was all that we could sustain socially um, as groups, as we were nomads. But here's the issue now. We're living in a time where we interact with more people than we ever have in our entirety of human history. Our brains aren't equipped to make sense of these large numbers of people. Think about how big of a difference that is. If we think about our high school graduating classes that can get up to 500 people um, when we go to schools. I went to the Ohio State University, and we have over 60,000 people in our school. Like The numbers that we're dealing with now are massive, and society evolved faster than our brain. So we are now encountering more people than we ever have before. Um, but our brain still has the limited capacity to empathize. We can only empathize with small numbers of people, and our level and capacity to empathize decreases with each additional person. And that's why it's important to remember with groups B and C in that experiment, even though the group that had only two people was able to get more donations than the group that mentioned thousands of people who were in hardship, it still didn't do as well as focusing only on one person who was experiencing hardship. So keep that in mind when we are trying to raise awareness of serious um, issues in on the societal level, because we, when we talk about those big numbers, it's cognitively impressive. But remember, people make decisions with their heart and then justify it with their heads. And of course, I'm using the word heart colloquially because the heart is a muscle in your chest. Um, people make decisions with their emotions and then they use logic to justify and, and create a reason, a rationale for it after the fact. So when we're crafting these arguments, we need to speak to the right thing. And we are speaking to the emotions here. So creating a heartfelt message around one person will be a lot more persuasive in these types of situations. Now, here's a business corollary. So imagine you're working on a huge project and you need help. Again, we are reaching out to our team, (laughs) trying to get help from other people on our team. Um, And the people who are on the team, they know that the report that you're trying to create that you need help with goes to a large institutional client. So what you need to do in that situation is not make them feel as though this report goes to a faceless corporation or a building filled with hundreds of people because they're not really able to make sense of the impact of their work in that situation. So what you should do is pick a single sympathetic person within the organization 
that is counting on you and share the impact of the timely receipt of the project on that person. And when you are able to synthesize the issue down to the impact it's going to have on one sympathetic person, uh, that would make somebody more willing to act. Because again, they cannot really conceptualize or empathize with a large organization or the hundreds of people within the organization, but they can empathize with one sympathetic person within the organization. So focus on his or her story and talk about how we want to get this thing done for that person. And then we can couple this with what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast with regard to asking a specific person on your team to do a specific part of the project. Now we're going to take a quick break and we will finish up with the third tool that we can use to maximize commitment. I'll see you on the other side. Before we finish up this episode, I have a few questions for you. Does your job do professional development training? Are you looking for a workshop for your next conference? Does your profession require effective communication or dispute resolution? If so, a negotiation training seminar might be what you need. I've had the opportunity to do these trainings around the country, and I'd love to swing by your neck of the woods. Our customized negotiation seminars are as fun as they are informative. You'll not only discover the keys to negotiation and persuasion, you'll also have the opportunity to practice these skills in a safe environment with a negotiation simulation. And at the end of the seminar, you'll be able to communicate confidently, resolve disputes effectively, and get what you want out of your next negotiation. And as an added bonus, if you let us know far enough in advance, we can get these trainings certified for continuing education credits. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email to learn more. Now let's get back to the show. The last thing we can do to maximize commitment when we're trying to persuade is by making it clear that their action will have meaning. Everybody wants to feel as though what they do has meaning. It has purpose, that they're making a difference. And if they feel like what they're doing is just a drop in the bucket, they're not going to want to do it because they'll see it as a a waste of their time and resources. So oftentimes in uh, nonprofit scenarios, we see people say, hey, we have $100,000 to go or we need $100,000 or something like that. That's a big number. I'm not in a position to do anything with with regard to donations that could really <laughs> effectuate much change with regard to that number. Um, so that makes me less likely to do anything. It's like, why? Why bother? Uh, that's why we want to break it down into smaller increments so people feel as though they're making a difference. And so going back to the, the Dominica example, it's like, how much money do we need? I don't know, like a trillion dollars, like a lot of money. Uh, but I'm not going to say that. That's not helpful because <laughs> nobody is in a financial position to give millions of dollars. But people are in positions to give five to ten dollars. That would be great. And so that's why I would focus on something specific like the cost of medicine. For instance, this particular antibiotic would cost $20, and this $20 donation would be able to save Billy from his infection. And again, what I want to do is I want to layer these tools of commitment on top of each other. So we can use number one, avoid diffusion of responsibility by focusing on one person. We're having this conversation with a single person. And then when we're having this conversation with a single person, we talk about the plight of a single person that needs our help. Billy has an infection. And then we talk about what could help Billy. 
a $20 donation can help Billy. Versus saying, hey, everybody, there are tens of thousands of people on this island that need your help. We need to raise at least a million dollars to help them. What can you do? The answer, they're thinking to themselves, nothing. I can't do anything that could help you. But you see how it how it changes when you rephrase it using these techniques. It makes it manageable. Uh, they can't avoid responsibility. And they feel as though what they're going to do is going to actually make a change. People always want to feel as though what they do makes a difference. And by structuring your persuasive arguments in this way and your strategies in this way, people are going to feel like what they're doing actually makes a difference to somebody. And that's critical when it comes to getting people to take action. And the business corollary here is that oftentimes as leaders or people who have to work on a team within an organization, we fail to explain why we want somebody to do something and the effect that the behavior will have for you and on the organization and possibly for them. We sometimes assume that they have a clear understanding because it might seem obvious to you. But the issue is that a lot of times people don't have the same perspective. So we need to clearly articulate why we want people to do things. You remember back to the episode on anchoring where we talked about the because test? This is a perfect opportunity for us in the business world to use that test in a scenario that is outside of the anchoring context. We want to explain the effect. Remember, people want to feel as though the work that they do makes a difference. So we need to explain to them why doing what you are asking them to do will make a palpable difference to the team, to you, and to the organization. So there you have it. Here are three strategies that you can use to maximize commitment. And one thing you'll notice about these strategies is that these are pretty big picture types of deals. This isn't going to be the only thing you bring to the table. Um, Once you frame the conversation using these overall strategies, you can use smaller tactics in order to be even more persuasive and increase the likelihood of commitment even more. So you could use anchoring or you you could use the norm of reciprocity. Those are some examples of some of the things that you could use in the midst of the conversation. But when it comes to framing the discussion and your approach, these three strategies are a good place to start. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you finding this information helpful? If you are, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. I look at every single review and knowing that this content is helpful is what fuels my passion. Negotiate Anything is now the top-ranked negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the nation, thanks to awesome listeners like you. We are creeping up on 200,000 downloads and we have listeners in 140 countries. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued support. Lastly, if you haven't yet, please reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. Everyone who connects with me gets a personal message from me. Eventually, it takes time uh, because I've been getting a lot more. I think I have 200 new invites to go through. But I want to keep hearing from you because it's your feedback and suggestions that made the show what it is today. So keep those suggestions coming and LinkedIn is the best way to reach out to me. Thank you again for listening, and I will catch you in the next one.